With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's always soccer in Philadelphia, a special crossover episode for you. I have no idea which episode this is. I think it's 65 or 66 or something like that. Kevin Kincaid, we got Baxter joining us. Baxter uh, is half Labrador, half Pointer, I think. We've got Rush Joy and Phil Kaidel from Crossing Broad FC joining the program. Gentlemen, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. This is fun. Hey, Kev. Kevin, thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. You guys have both uh, joined the podcast individually, but this is the first time that the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program and Crossing Broad FC uh, have teamed up to have all three people in the same place at the same time. Real life update, uh, real time update. It is, in fact, episode 65. Okay, well, thanks for looking that up. I, I feel like I should know these. I do all this other prep for the show, but I don't actually look at what episode I'm doing. You know, Dave and I usually just guess at the end of it, and then it doesn't really make a difference one way or the other at the end of the day, does it? No. No, but listen, um, this episode um, is called Why Always Me, and we're talking about the one and only Mario Balotelli, and I want to explain uh, to everybody out there, all the loyal listeners of the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program, how a hot stove uh, article turns into some international transfer rumor that then gets squashed by the sporting director of the team himself. Uh, really, it's a very intriguing story of how these things start is something very small and innocuous and then blow up into something completely ridiculous, right? But we had a lot of fun over the last couple of days. Um, so let me back it up. A couple of weeks ago, somebody emails me. Mystery source, I have no idea who this person is, but I do know who it is now. And they come to me with three pieces of information, and they say, Kevin, uh, Bethlehem Steel is going to leave Lehigh University next season. Uh, Jim Curtin will be the head coach in 2019. Uh, and Ernst Tanner is not really a big fan of the 4-2-3-1. He kind of wants to play with two strikers. And so my first reaction to that is, number one, okay, this is cool. I appreciate that. Thank you for sending me this. I have no idea who you are. You know, I don't know if any of this is true or not. Um, so what you do then naturally you just sort of try to bounce that off of a couple other sources and you say, Hey, this guy came to me with this. Have you heard anything about this? Have you heard anything about that? Uh, does this make any sense to you? Those three things, right? So went down the list, called some people. Um, and I got the steel thing confirmed that they were going to leave Goodman stadium in Lehigh. Uh, they can't play during the day anymore. The lights, you know, they don't have lights at that stadium. They're going to play in Chester next year. So I reported that, got the scoop on that, right? And it worked. I didn't really do anything with the other two because I couldn't find anybody else to confirm those, right? So Mystery Source comes back, um, you know, four or five days ago and says, hey, I got some more information for you. Um, number one, Ernst Tanner is not that high on Harris Madunian and David Akam and CJ Sapong. Um, he would not be opposed to moving one or more of those players. Uh, Ernst likes Brandon Aronson, the 18-year-old um, homegrown player that they just signed. Uh, and he thinks that that, per, he, that that Brandon will soon pass Anthony Fontana on the depth chart. And number three, that the offseason priority is a DP striker, and he's willing to sign a big-name player like Mario Balotelli. Tanner has been heavily scouting the forward market. So the words that they use and the words that I put in the article was that, and let me, let me read this verbatim here, okay? As far as a striker... It seems as though the union aren't going to make an effort to re-sign Boric Dojkal, and instead they want to focus on bringing in an elite goal scorer. Balotelli's name was specifically mentioned in the email, but the mystery source made it seem like this was more of a kicking the tires versus any sort of real pursuit or contact with the agent. Jay Sugarman won't pony up for that kind of player anyway. So, Phil, Russ, if I tell you the term kicking the tires, what's your interpretation of that? Because my interpretation of that is it could mean any number of things. Go ahead, Phil. Well, kicking the tires can mean any number of things. What you hope it means is that they've at least explored, sent out feelers, determined whether this is even something that the player would have any kind of interest in, and whether if, if uh, Balotelli's representatives 
can be uh, spoken to reasonably and rationally, whether they would be willing to facilitate the move, and whether the player has any interest in leaving Europe. Um, minimally, I would hope that's what kicking the tires means. Russ, is that your interpretation of that as well? Oh, no. I, I expect that the good old German Ernst Tanner walked up to uh, Mario Balotelli and said, Ciao, ciao ragazzo, come sta oggi? And that was it. And, uh, <laughs> but do, you know, no sono sicuro. No sono sicuro si vuoi parlare per Philadelphia Union. And, like, yeah, I just imagine that it was perfect. I mean, that so was you great. speak, how many languages do you speak? A few. You speak English, a few. You, yeah. you speak Spanish. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a few. KBN. What's the I, audience I, just hit the pause button on their iPod? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome like, to the uh, the Trace Pendejos can I, can podcast <laughs> with Phil Ross and Ken. Can I Google Translate that really quickly? Um, no, but when you hear kicking the tires, like you, you would think that there might be a little bit of validity to perhaps having reached out to his camp or at least started to get a feel on. Um, you know, some some big name guys who are probably either past their prime or or guys who are looking to become, you know, or, or needed to be as uh, have their careers revived as reclamation projects. Mm-hmm. Like when that, I hear, that's what kicking the tires should be. It doesn't mean that they've. <laughs> it doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily like, mean that they called the agent or that they asked him if he wanted to come. That they've already here. sent him a customized kit. Right, and, they, and like they're preparing the the stage down at Talon. They're like, going to no. put his face on the jumbotron, like Patrick Corbin uh, and the Phillies. But not mention you know, his wife. But not mention his wife. So when I when I hear kicking the tires, to me, that's kind of synonymous for just sort of like doing your due diligence, right? Um, you just sort of see what the situation is over there. Um, you go through your list of names and and you think about it, and maybe kicking the tire, maybe the extent of kicking the tires is just a couple of union executives sitting in a room and saying, "Hey, what about Mario Balotelli?" And Ernst Tanner could have came out and said, "Fuck no, we're not doing that," you know, and that that could have been the extent of kicking the tires, right? Um, so, I, so nowhere, nowhere in that. So when you guys read that originally, assuming that you actually read it at all, um, was that your takeaway from that? Like, because to me, this is just a hot stove article. This is just some stuff that a guy's telling me, uh, take it for a grain of salt. Here's my interpretation of what that guy is saying, you know? Well, Kevin, like let, let's compare it to something that happened a few years ago. Remember when the, um, the union discovery list was leaked and Zlatan was on there. I mm-hmm. mean, is having Zlatan on there conceptually considered kicking the tires? Like, of course you would want to have somebody who's, you know, proven themselves in, in every league they've yeah. played in, but yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, of course you would in theory you you want a guy like that but i don't know if this is really any different i mean well that's doing your due diligence isn't it just yeah, putting and the dude not, on the discovery list because that's exactly. the ridiculous mechanism that exists in major league soccer so if that's what the rules are going to be you might as well do it why wouldn't you you know well and you, you also have to think that like Ertz tanner at some point has to look to make a splash right like it maybe he's not i think he's been a little bit more pragmatic but like in theory, knowing the kind of star power and, and you look across the league and you see what a guy like Wayne Rooney, who looked like he was on his last legs in England, you know, how he absolutely revitalized DC United. I mean, like mm-hmm. he's now the figurehead of, of that yeah. team and, yep. and, you know, they go into next season with a, a ton of momentum. You know, I don't know if Balotelli's the guy who does it, but like in, in theory, like, yeah, you should be looking for some kind of uh, a player that, you know, when people Google them and, and people who are casual fans of soccer and of the union, you know, punch the guy's name into youtube they find some great goals and they find some great highlights and they go okay yeah like i i don't know if how this guy's been playing for nice but <laughs> yeah. sure like he has some some great goals like yeah cool well this isn't also as crazy as the union putting zlatan on a list uh because at the time they were doing that zlatan shall i say uh was a far more competent and while can be sort of an egomaniac when he plays he's really good uh balotelli's in a much different class at every level uh, than that megawatt star. This is going to be the fourth bridge that Balotelli has burned now that he's apparently on his way out of Nice. He's got Patrick Vieira calling him less than average. Um, they don't want him around anymore, and so... So let me back I, that up real quick, Phil. Just sure. so, just so the, What's the than average? Welcome reader, to Philadelphia. Just so readers know, Patrick Vieira, who just left New York City FC in the middle of the season, took the head coaching job at Nice, where Balotelli is right now, um, Balotelli has not scored this year for Nice, and I think they had a blow-up or an argument or something yesterday, Saturday. So that's where we are with him right now. But anyway, I'm sorry. Carry on. No, sure. So, you know, he got himself sent away from Manchester City, which in retrospect wasn't a, a great move for him. Uh, he didn't do much with Milan. He went to Liverpool, and that was an abject disaster. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. And now you're looking at this Nice thing blowing up. So even though he's only 28 years old and it's impossible for me to understand how a guy with his talent 
at this age could already be looking at the possibility of no longer being welcome in Europe. Yeah, I, I think you have to give the union a little bit of credit, even if they just put them on a list and said, we need to think about this. Mm-hmm. There's some foresight there. You should give them some credit because this is a player who might, in fact, um, need to make a move away from a lot of the chaos he's created. And Lord knows MLS would be a soft place to land. So hold that thought for a second. I want to get back to that. I want to continue the story. Um, so the next, so I, I leave that story at that. I'm like, here's some hot stove stuff. Here's what I was told. You know, name Mario Balotelli was mentioned in the email, but like I said, he didn't. This, this source, this person, did not say yes. They are going to sign him, or yes, they have made contact with him. Right. So the next day, uh, a guy named Ryan Kiefer comes out, who I don't know. He writes for the SB Nation site, uh, the DC United SB Nation site, um, Black and Red United, I think it's called, and he says, I can confirm that uh, yes, the Union have talked to Mario Balotelli. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is not what I expected. Like, I it, maybe Mystery Source is, like, on to something here, knows something more that they're not that they're not telling me. And then a couple hours after that, I think it was later in the day, uh, Matt Ralph over at Brotherly Game, the Philly SB Nation site says, we have a source that says that the Union have had contact with Mario Balotelli, I think was, was their story. And I talked to Matt about it, and we've figured out that the sources that we were talking to were different. We, we were able to confirm that I was able to find out who my person, my mystery person was. Um, and he talked to somebody different. Uh, so then that started this whole big, crazy thing of, wow, is this really happening? Are they really doing it? You know, are they going after this guy, whatever? And this was just based on some, like, I, I didn't say one way or another, what was going on. These other two guys had like reports that said, yes, they definitely have talked to him. Um, so that led to John Tannenwald getting on the phone with Ernst Tanner himself, who said there's not a piece of, tr- <laughs> of truth um, to it at this point. So what I want to do, so you see now the genesis of me writing just a little hot stove thing based on this mystery source who had some things right in the past. That turns into two people saying we definitely have something, and then that turns into John getting the sporting director to squash it. So it's just a very interesting exercise in how rumors – get circulated people don't actually read your damn article that you write and then it turns into something crazier than that and eventually gets shot down so what i want to do i want to read the quotes from john's story and i want you guys to kind of like parse these quotes from from earth i want you to tell me what you think this means and what they're actually looking for okay um go ahead he said quote he said quote there's not a piece of truth in this story um Tanner said by phone from Germany where he's on a scouting trip. I don't know why this is coming up. I was never in touch with him. He says, I'm more interested in putting together a real good team for the next season. In terms of strikers, we are looking for young strikers, and we're really in good negotiations in this moment. Maybe I can present something before Christmas. I don't know, but it looks not bad. So does that do you say that he's not interested in a big DP and he's looking for a diamond in the rough kind of guy? Well, that's what he wants you to believe. But when I hear that quote, uh, if I can be a bit of a skeptic, I might say that obviously their most glaring need is a striker. And as I mentioned earlier, Balotelli is only 28. I mean, this is not like reaching for a 35-year-old, 34-year-old designated player that can only give you 18 months of value. Right, right, right. I'm not suggesting that Balotelli could possibly come here and spend four years wearing the union kit. That's never going to happen. But could he spend 18 months to two years and be super productive in that time? Of course he could. So, yeah, what that quote tells me more than anything else, Kevin, is that he doesn't want to talk about this. And he wants this to go away. Because if there is any truth to it, any reporting anybody does on it could ruin the possibility that could happen. So are we thinking this is going to be better than Fernando Aristigueta? Is that what I'm? Is that what I'm to believe? Well, that's what it sounds like. He's. It makes it seem like he's looking for like a young DP, you know, like a 21 year old, 22 year old kid, something like that. Could I interest um, him in uh, Kylian Mbappe? How about Pulisic? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, bring the local kid home. Bring Hershey native Christian Pulisic home. Well, what well, happened he can't to play like for the, Dortmund? He might as well come play for the Union. What happened <laughs> to like the 80 billion pound transfer to Chelsea? Is that not a thing? Yeah, that's like that's a, great. Okay. That's hilarious. You're funny. Um. So he said this then. He said, he also alluded to Balotelli not being a good tactical fit with his vision for the Union, saying, quote, I never was going for that type of striker. It doesn't make sense in terms of what we are really looking for. Okay. I mean, what is, Russ, what is he? He doesn't like strikers who can score goals. No. So he doesn't want that. 
he doesn't think that if if we assume that they're going to go with a four four two, it schematically, like tactically, it, it probably doesn't fit what they're going to do. I mean, I think if if the idea is to have burners on the outside, like unless you're going to have Balotelli be like a, a hold up striker and have somebody like Fafa run off him, then like I I don't know. I don't feel like you go out and get Balotelli to to kind of defer to a guy on the run. Like I then play a four. Two, three, one, or something. I oh, mean, like what are we the, talking like, about here? Like they've done for for the entire yeah with with Four, inadequate two, three, talent. One still haven't won. Like no, I don't. That was that was a chant that I tried to get the sons of Ben to do, but they were uh you know too busy doing it. the same five that uh yeah they didn't want to learn a new one. It was too hard. Phil, what did um, what did Balotelli when when they won the title that year? Was he playing like behind Aguero, alongside Aguero? What what exactly were they playing that year? Well, first of all. He struggled to get minutes because of Aguero and Dzeko uh, spending uh, most of the time on the top of Mancini's sheet. So he was coming off um, the bench. Was he coming off the bench mostly that year? He was either coming off the bench at the end of matches or they would start him in matches when they needed to rest the better players. When they needed to rest Aguero, he'd get a start. Um, I mean, remember, he had the assist that led to Aguero's goal that won them the title. Yeah, he was Queens Park like laying on the ground and made a like a sort of lunge and got the ball yeah. free. Yeah, yeah. But the only reason he was even on the pitch at that point was because they were trailing really late in the match, and Mancini put all three of them out there at the same time, which you never see. So, I mean, obviously, Balotelli is a very uh, you know dear place in my heart for that particular play. And the funniest part about that is, you know, he got a knock as being a selfish player at Manchester City, but the play he made to set up Aguero's goal was one of the most unselfish, really well-considered touches and setups that you'll ever see, especially under the circumstances and the pressure that they were under in that moment. Yeah. Uh, but no, he he is a target man. He's not a combination player. That's why I said four two three one. I don't think he can really succeed in a 4-4-2, I should say. So that would I don't think he wants to share the ball. So that would confirm then if if he says um, it 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 doesn't make sense in terms of what we are really looking for. And he said at the end of the season press conference that he he kind of wanted to get away from the four two three one. Um, he wanted to he talked about being interested in two strikers. He just talked about the predictability of the four two three one, which is what Russ is kind of saying. Like they haven't played anything else over the last four and a half years, you know. They also haven't I, had anybody who could, like, collect a pass, beat two guys, and rip it in the top corner. That's true. Which I well, think I Balotelli wanna, can do at this level. I don't want to, like, go off on this. I, I'm not going to go on, off on a tangent here. But, like, the 4-2-3-1, the way that, that Curtin ran it, never really conceptually worked because th- there is flexibility in a 4-2-3-1 that you could do. And even late in games when they were, when they were chasing, you would rarely see Curtin flip the triangle in the defensive midfield. And, like, it, the, the way that he employed it didn't make sense now a 352 uh wouldn't make sense with balotelli but a 352 would give you a, a whole lot of you know a better look overload possibilities as you're moving up the pitch uh on set pieces like there there are things conceptually about that that with the speed the union theoretically have assuming you know i don't know you bring you know, have fafa as one of the strikers or, or whatever you decide to do with the com um you know you do have the speed to to make up for any kind of like an overload situation, we get caught on the counterattack. Balotelli's not the guy to track back as a striker. I have a feeling that Tanner's going to want a guy um, or a combination of, of forwards that are going to get back defensively, and and not so much have a guy you know in in the mold of Zlatan where he's just going to hang out at the fifty. Like it's just not something that I think he's got in in his mind. And so, I, like in theory, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that Balotelli's only a month older than me. It feels like he's been in the game for so long. That when I went to look for him, I thought he was probably at this point 32, 34. To me, he's kind of like the Josie Altidore of Italian football. Like he's a guy who people thought had a lot of talent, had a lot of skill. And maybe in terms of raw talent, it's there. But they've just never been able to to, to fully realize their potential. And so, you know, I, I don't want to like put a whole lot of, of thought into the, uh, the thought experiment of like Balotelli. I'm just trying to imagine him pulling up in a Ferrari. And like realizing that he's playing in Chester, he's driving the Ferrari to Chester. Yeah, that'd be you know what I mean. Like, and that that I think is like they, the other thing that that's why I, I could see them going after a younger DP striker, right? Because like, say what you will about the situation in in DC and how bad RFK was, and knowing that they have a new stadium they're going to, but like, Chester's Chester, man. Like, if you're a guy who 
you know, is, is used to world-class facilities, is used to, you know, playing out in the sticks, like, whatever, that's one thing. But, like, Chester is a whole other beast. Like, yeah, you could get right off of 95 or whatever, but, like, I don't know. I, ha- I, I feel like this whole thing is a hard sell to guys that have any kind of international cred. Well, that's a whole, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other... That's that's obviously part of the Balotelli thing, but again, like you said, it's a, just a whole different, a whole another sidebar that's going to affect anybody that they try to sign. You know, uh, two quick thoughts here. I'm on the Nice um, Twitter page here, and I'm looking at how they played yesterday. And uh, Vieira had them out in a three-five-two. Um, Balotelli was playing up top alongside uh, what the hell's the guy's name? It's uh, Saint Max Maximine Alan Alan Saint Maximi, I think is how you say his name. So he's playing with another striker um, in this formation. They're playing three five two. I don't see. This is my thing. When when he says it, we're not looking for that type of striker. Like a guy like Balotelli is good enough that you put him on the field anywhere, and he should be a dominant player in Major League Soccer. You know what I mean? Like. It, I don't think you go. I don't think anybody went and signed. I don't think DC United signed Wayne Rooney and and said, "Well, we're definitely, um, you know, we definitely have to play this formation. We definitely have to do this." Like, yes, Rooney's better as a number nine, but they knew they were going to play him as a number nine. It wasn't, but but you wouldn't have been worried to say like, "Well, we can play four four two also." Like, you can put these these guys are like superstar players. Like, Not just that. This was the point I was trying to make like five minutes ago. Um, yeah, great. We have a system that Balotelli doesn't fit. But guess what? We didn't have talent either. If we can get a transcendent <laughs> talent at the level of this league, you can stick your system somewhere else. Make your formation we'll play a fit, system that fit Mario Balotelli. You know, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, this is a, a very awkward metaphor, and I, I'm not trying to suggest that this one player is equal to the other. But, like, I, I bet Gabe Kapler likes guys to run out ground balls, right? But if you can get Manny Machado, let's not worry so much about, like, running out ground balls and being Johnny Hustle. If you can get Machado to play the left side of the infield and hit 40 bombs, let's just do that and worry about the ancillary stuff some other time. If they can get Balotelli in this, I don't think they can, which is why I've been, you know, really not paying that much attention to the story because I almost don't want to get my hopes up. But if they could put him in a union shirt, first of all, you're going to sell tickets, Mm -hmm. you're going to sell jerseys, and he's going to produce at least for a short period of time. There's no question in my mind. Usually, for the most part, he gives you a pretty good effort out of the gate. It's after a while that things start to go sour. I just think it would blow up in the first year. Probably. Like, I, I don't see any kind of... It's not even like it would be a long-term solution. It really would be, we've got a few guys who are at the end of their contracts. We think that this is a talented team that we can build off. Mm-hmm. We're another year away from the academy kids coming up and, and really contributing. or being totally seasoned and, and ready to, to take on you know, the lead in the following season. So, like, let's go with a stopgap. Let's go with a guy that, you know, maybe is able to revitalize his career. And, like, he goes out and, I don't know, puts, like, 12 in, and then you hit the summer transfer window and, and everything goes sideways. And at that point, he's sick of driving into Chester. He's, like, sick of Bedoya not being able to give him good enough service. He he gets annoyed with Fafa. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these things are all possible. And, like, maybe in in theory like part of what tanner's saying isn't necessarily just the fit on the field it's also the fit off the field as well yeah maybe I he mean, was just being nice and he didn't want to say look the guy's a fucking head case and we're not yeah. going down that road of, of course but it just seemed like a weird like way to kind of say that you know nobody is ever imagine imagine saying that quote about like zlatan or rooney or marco devio or tim cahill or Terry Henry, when you signed them to MLS however many years ago, you would never say, we're not going for that type of striker. You know, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense in terms of what we were really looking for. I mean, imagine applying that quote to somebody like like those guys, you know. Um, yeah, it doesn't fly. It doesn't fly. The last quote that he had is kind of a nothing burger, but I'll read it anyway. Uh, I quote, I think the budget we have available for now is offering us a lot of flexibility, and I'm working on players who are really good and who fit in that budget, and that's possible. There are so many players in this world, it's just a matter of going out and finding them. I See, I don't think I think that's bullshit. I don't think the budget offers them any flexibility at all. I, I, I've been told that the budget isn't any different this year than it was last year. Um, you know, you still have CJ Sapong on the books for five hundred thousand uh, dollars. You got the Jay Simpson money out from under you, but beyond that, what? Like, I don't think they all of a sudden. What's what's there to make you believe that Jay is just going to give money to Ernst that he wasn't going to give to Ernie? Like, there's no there's no evidence there to suggest that is there. Am I like looking at that the wrong way? Well, that's why I again have been hesitant to buy into this story. 
because right, which is what I said in the in the in the article. I said that in the in the fucking article that nobody read that said I don't think Jay would pony up for that anyway. And yet I end up here on MLSsoccer.com saying that like Tannenwald squashed my story, which was not even what I was saying in the first place. You know. But here's the thing, Kevin. Like if you told me that Balotelli <laughs> had fifty million dollars, no, no, no. If you if you told me that Balotelli had fifty million dollars in the bank, I'd believe you. Mm-hmm. If you told me he had fifty thousand dollars in the bank, I'd believe that too. Mm-hmm. So. I'm not sure that we can just write off the possibility that Balotelli is going to be so expensive that they could never possibly afford mm-hmm. him. Because I really don't know what his financial picture is. The way he comports himself and behaves himself and is seen to be so flashy with money and so careless with money leads me to believe that he might not be the greatest investor or the most careful steward no, of his fortune. No, now, no, no. I may yet be proven yeah. wrong. No question. Now, he's, um, he's available for a free transfer in the summer. Because when he was at Nice, he signed a series of three one-year deals. He's just been renewing one-year deals, right? Um, obviously, he's not getting along with Vieira now. You could get him in January if you wanted. Um, I don't know what they would do with the transfer fee there. I don't think the union have paid any meaningful transfer fee outside of, I think, Bedoya. Um, so I would not put much stock into that at all. But, you know, if you can get – if would you keep kicking the tires on Balotelli if you were, again, shit? in the summer and you had a chance to get him on a free and it wasn't working out for him in France. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think I kind of side with, with Russ with this. I kind of like lean to what Russ is leaning to here. It's just, there's a, it would be a splash sign. You get people to care. People would buy jerseys. People would be energized, but it could turn South very quickly. You know, on a cycle back to a point you made a little while back and you asked me what formations they were playing mm-hmm. him in at city way back when, the truth is Mancini had a hard time getting him in the lineup, not just starting versus uh, subbing, but he tried to get him to play with Aguero, and it was a struggle. He tried to get him to play up top with Jekko supporting behind. Mm-hmm. That was a struggle. It always seemed like a headache uh, because he had these three strikers who needed to get minutes, and very clearly Aguero was the best of the three, but Jekko had a lot of use too. Mm-hmm. And so they, he, Mancini wanted to play two of them at a time, but they didn't always play nicely together. And a lot of times yeah. Mancini was such a defensive-minded coach that if it was 2-1 or 1-0 in the 60th minute, one of them was coming off. Now he well, that's also why, hit, That's what I was saying, though. Like it, no, go ahead, Russ. The, go ahead, man. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say real quick, too. When he, and also when he had Mourinho for a little bit at Internazionale Milano. That was okay. They played... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it'll work on my time. Um, they played... Of course, Mourinho has played nothing but four two three one like his entire life, right? Um, you know, when they won the treble there, they had uh, Diego Milito playing up top, and they had the line of three behind him. And I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure that when Mario was with him there, it was the same thing. the The whole thing that I was saying before about you know him being a, a skilled guy but never being able to really realize his potential, like I think that's ultimately why, you know, it's it's it, in theory it could be a low purchase. It, it's it's not really like it's low risk because the the potential of it blowing up is huge, but like the reward is really high. I mean, the potential for him to come in and play the league on fire is there. Mm-hmm. But like if the idea that Ernst Tanner has here and Ernst, by the way, Ernst means serious in German. Mm. If, if he's serious huh, about building a team that, that, you know, fits the, the model of what Philadelphia is supposed to be. And, and is, you know, trying to build this team that fans can relate to and are going to want to come out to the, to the stadium to see Balotelli's just not that guy. He never has been, and he probably never will be. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, there are guys who change their their styles or accept the the role. Um, you know, the longer they go without, you know, hitting that elite level or whatever, he's just not a guy who's ever seemed to have, uh, you know, come to grips with the fact that he can't dominate like he thinks he can. Like the raw talent might be there; it very well could be. And like against MLS defenses, like yeah, he'd probably find some success. But ultimately, I think it would just be not only is it a personality conflict, it would, it would probably just be a big thing where like he'd be in constant battles with the coaching staff. And I'm sorry, like mm-hmm. w- once again, this this comes back to me just not believing in Jim Curtin. But like Balotelli's going to like imagine Mario Balotelli being told by Jim Curtin that he's not doing something right. You know, like Bal- Balotelli's played yeah, in all like of how these do you approach premier approach leagues. That, it's like, yeah. seriously, like if you're Jim Curtin, if you're it, honestly, it doesn't matter who the coach had been unless it was like Tata Martino or something. But like realistically you get a guy with an ego like Balotelli's in here and 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 like Jim Curtin poor Jim 
like standing there just trying to you know tell him, hey <laughs> Mario, you got to get back and help. Well, and imagine yeah, and imagine there. saddling like, your like work. your your coach who's on a one year contract who's probably just happy to have a job right now. Imagine putting Balotelli Balotelli on him. Um, that's why it just doesn't make, I, I think it doesn't make sense to me from the fact that Ernst Tanner is a brand new guy. This, yes, this would be a splash signing, but it's super risky too. I mean, like you're the, in the first year of your job. Jim is barely hanging on to a job at this point. I don't, I don't think you're at the point where you would go crazy on a, on a risky transfer like that. I just don't, even though it was exciting on Twitter and guess what? Everybody had fun. Everybody had fun. Everybody got their hopes up. Everybody had something to look forward to. Like people actually gave a shit about the union. Like God forbid, like. Um, there was some news about the union that people were interested in. Like last, Ernie wouldn't have said shit, I and mean, we all just would have yeah. been sitting here like saying, "Well, is this going to happen? Is this like?" And we'd be sitting here for two months saying that. You know, we took it a, was fun. We took a it break was fun until you remember who the owner is. <laughs> well, to build off Russ's yeah. point too, um, the truth is, Balotelli's history is rife with instances where he either doesn't show up to training or shows up to training but isn't really paying attention, or. Uh, won't do what they tell him to do during game play, mm-hmm. match play, mm-hmm. during training. Um, there are times where his fitness has been called into question. In fact, I think City took him before uh, like a tribunal or maybe he took them before a tribunal complaining about wages they didn't want to pay him because he was not giving it 100% even in training. So, yeah, the idea that Jim Curtin, of all people, could try to reach Mario Bellatelli <laughs> if he doesn't really particularly feel like grinding it out on a Tuesday morning Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the, the best idea. All right, well, listen, um, do, do, Russ, do you have a final Balotelli point here before I move it on to uh, the next topic? No. Okay. I know. No. We're going to move it on to the next topic then. That was the Mario Balotelli portion of the, the podcast. Not the Mario. Love you, Mario. Not Mario Batali, the um, famous chef who I think caught a Me Too not long ago, right? Yeah. Do you think Balotelli has Crocs? Since we're talking about Mario Batali. I could see him wearing I could yeah, I honestly could see him wearing those. Yeah. I tell you what, Balotelli's had an awful lot of hairstyles too. He's had the Mohawk, yes. he's bleached it, he's done all kinds of crazy things. So in that way he kind of fits the bill too. It's never a good thing when people are talking about your hair more than they are talking about your talent. I could see Balotelli coming over here and kinda of like hitting it hitting it off with uh with Embiid, cruising around with Embiid, maybe getting uh Ben Simmons and Kendall Jenner in there too. What, uh, what do I need to do? What do I need to do here? You need to tell me. What do I need? Oh, you just have to trust the process. And uh... <laughs> that's pretty good. That's a good uh, Joel Embiid out of you. All right, we're gonna do. I, I want to. I saw this on Facebook, and um, I did not originally have this in the rundown for the program. But um, so Bethlehem Steel's moving <clears throat> from Lehigh to Chester, and uh, apparently Tim McDermott had a meeting with uh, Bethlehem Steel supporters. And to explain exactly what the hell is going on and why this move happened. And somebody um, put these detailed notes on Facebook, like really, really, really detailed shit here. So I want to read some of this stuff to you. I want you guys to kind of like give me what your takeaway is from it here. Um, Tim talked about the youth development budget. The union spends $7.5 million annually on youth development, $3.5 million on the youth academy, two on the youth academy school, and a $2 million net loss on steel. The union spend more on youth development than any other MLS team. I mean, I think we knew that, right? I think they said that in the past that they spent more on it, but I don't think we had a, a number on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great that they spend so much on it. I just wish they would actually, you know, invest some money on the on-field product. Yeah. Like I've always said, like, you're not going to win. You can ultimate... put a bunch of fucking kids. You don't win a trophy for putting a bunch of kids on the on the field. Like, yeah, yeah this you is, can spend this is exactly million. what just happened with the Flyers and Ron Hextall. Like, the, the plan takes yeah. too long. Yeah. And, like, it, it look, in five years, six years or whatever, when the academy players are making their way to, you know, through steel and then up to the union, like, yeah, then maybe in like another five or six years we say, wow, you know, there there was some really great foundational work laid. But like you can't just lay a foundation and expect fans to come out and support this team. Again, I've said it a million times, but like the the Phillies were in such a down stretch for the last few years. You had the opportunity to capitalize. And instead of investing in, you know, it, whether it's a big name or, you know, actually setting up a scouting network in South America, which, you know, tends to work really well for a lot of MLS clubs. And like going out and, and identifying some young guys and, and giving them a shot instead of doing that and actually, you know, creating some kind of buzz around the team, you invested in your academy, which was great to some extent. But like 
you can't just continue to neglect the big club and expect people to buy into like this isn't even like you can say hey in two years Fontana's going to be up or whoever it is it's like oh yeah there's this kid who's like 14 and is going through the academy wait until he's 21 god is he going to be good you know yeah it's just, yeah you can't i would want to see the receipts i, I want to know what they got for the seven and a half million dollars to be honest with well, that's you. what i'm saying i don't um, i don't understand why the fuck like what wh- why what is this obsession with like youth we have to you know we get to do the youth academy we got to get the youngest players in here we got to create a team that's got a bunch of 20 year olds and 21 year olds and 22 years like did anybody give a shit about that when ryan Giggs and paul skulls were out there at age 35 tearing people apart like you don't you don't you not. don't win anything for putting a bunch of kids on the field it's nice that you can put Austin Trusty and Mark McKenzie on the field and then you supplement the homegrown talent with with superstars and you nail your foreign signings like I still think that they think they're going to operate with like putting eight kids on the eight local kids on the field and surrounding them with like three good foreign players and I don't think that wins you a trophy I just don't understand like good players are good players you know Zlatan's doing what he's doing at age cheap. 30. So obviously, they're cheap. Obviously, they're cheap. Obviously. And maybe Jay Sugarman's goal is not to even win fucking games, right? It's just to, you know, raise these kids to the academy and sell them. Maybe that's what it what it really is, you know? But I'm, I'm just... Or long, play them and play pay them nothing. Jesus, yeah, like, I'm just not... I've just never really been impressed by anything like that, okay? Like, you, you, you know, you got the academy, you got the kids coming through it. All right, you're supposed to. You know, it just doesn't really do that oh, much for me. It's like, oh, well, we were ahead of the game. We were one of the first ones to set up an academy and, and you know, run it all the way through the USL team. Like, no, who cares? Yeah, I don't really – that really doesn't do much for me. All right, let me let me just um, bomb through some it's of like these It's like going other to ones. a picnic and saying, oh, you know what, I have, like, the best side dish. Well, that's great. But, like, ultimately, people are there for the burgers and the hot dogs. That's right. That's a good. Right? That's a really good comparison from you, Russ. I'm going to try to use that one moving forward. Thank now. you. Speaking of moving forward, okay. Um the initial launch of Bethlehem Steel, they needed one to two full years to prep a market. The union tried to do it in four months. That was a big mistake. Uh, they had concerns about Goodman Stadium from day one. No lights, a location. It's proven that afternoon games pull fewer people than night games, but it's hard to tell precisely how many fewer. Uh, on the stadium, previously the USL had granted them exception on, exemption on the lights thing. Midway through 2018, they gave them notice. The league gave them notice. Um, that said that's no longer good. USL said you have to have 5,000 seats, lights, and no sewn-in football lines, uh, which means, like, you have to be able to remove the, you know, the, the paint on the lines and, and re- redo your own lines on it. So the stadium alternatives up there in the Lehigh Valley, uh, Coca-Cola Park was too narrow. That's where the Iron Pigs play? Yes. Okay. Uh, Goodman, uh, Lehigh's under no hurry to install the lights. Initially, they were uninterested, uh, but now that's on their wish list, I guess. Uh, Lehigh Soccer Stadium apparently needed lots of work to meet USL standards. Uh, Turf fields in the area, high schools and whatnot, uh, they have the problem with those sewn-in lines where you can't change. You know, you you have to draw lines on top of lines, and it doesn't work. Uh, Cottingham, which I don't even know what the hell that is, Though not big on high school stadiums, Cottingham is intriguing in the community. There's things to do nearby. Um, and building a stadium at Steel Stacks um, apparently was not a thing either. I'm going to tell what you is why Cottingham? Idiots. Sorry, let me, let me Google that. Sorry. Um, I'm going to tell you why they're idiots. There was a very simple fix for this. It was eight and a half miles away from where Lehigh University is. And it's J. Bernie Crumb Stadium in Allentown. And, and the reason that I know it, it would work is it's, it's 15,000. Um, it's used by, uh, or, or at least was, by the, um, the Pennsylvania, <laughs> it's funny, the Pennsylvania stoners of the NPSL. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And also the Northampton Laurels of the WPSL. They're both professional teams. Like, con- conceptually, like, it's there. It makes sense. It's still in the Lehigh Valley area. I mean, Bethlehem and Allentown are, you know, they're not mm, that far mm. apart. And that place is equipped with lights. That place is equipped with, you know, concessions and facilities that allow, um, you know, big competitions to go on there. I mean, I think of it as a marching band stadium because they do their their big collegiate thing every year. But, like, it Cottons. it has the parking. It has everything in place that, uh, you know, a team could use. And it's less than nine miles down the road. I don't know why this wasn't something they explored. Maybe it's because, you know, the the turf surface itself, like, I know that there are a bunch of high schools in that Allentown area that use it to play football. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe the idea is that it it was just going to be overuse of the turf. But then at that point, don't you work out a deal where if the turf needs to get ripped up or, or refurbished, 
can you just work that out with the organizations that are using it? Cottingham, right? like you're you're charging. Cottingham Stadium is in Easton, um, and it looks like an old, just an old kind of. I don't even know what the hell it was used for, but it's next to an elementary school. Easton is just as close to New York as it is Philadelphia. Like that's going even further out. Um, let me read these final bullets here. Uh, pl- and that's fifth. By the way, that's 15 miles away. From Lehigh. from Lehigh, yeah, that's even go, further. Going the opposite directions, it's twice as far that's as Jaybird and Like, why Again, would you, I don't why would get you go? It. Even, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Um, well, that was just a suggestion for like you know they were looking at other you know areas up there. Obviously, um, okay, playing in Chester, they will lose just as much much money playing in Chester as they do in Bethlehem. Uh, in fact, depending on the sponsorships, it could be worse actually because they would lose that Lehigh Valley Health Network sponsor. Uh, Talon Energy Stadium just got a new surface, but that might not even hold up if they play 17 more home games there. Uh, they might do double headers playing the steel game after the union game. Uh, after? Yeah, there are. F- um, the organization does not want them in Chester. The organization would prefer for Steel to play in Bethlehem. Um, they did not seem confident in coming back for 2019, but that was more what this person inferred based on Tim's statements. Uh, and finally, the USL wanted the union to change the name Bethlehem Steel. Uh, but the organization views relocation as temporary and they're willing to change the name in the future if hope to return to the Lehigh Valley evaporates. Phil, what do you make all that shit? Um, it's over. That's what that I they're not going it. back there. No, they're not going back there. I mean, there's not going to be a quality soccer only facility built in the Lehigh Valley in the next 18 months. Nobody's going to buck up the money to yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. All of the facilities you've just described are inadequate or not palatable for any number of reasons, not the least of which is like you can talk about Crumb Stadium all you want, but if the thing that you associate with it is high school marching band practices, I don't think the league really wants the stadium of one of its franchises uh, closely involved or recognized or lined up. Well, I'm just saying I was I was in a bands. I was in a college marching band, so that's that's my well, thought there. But I'm saying like two other professional soccer teams play there. And yeah, it, but it I've never heard works. of those teams, and I, you know, I imagine a Google search would turn them up. But I didn't know anything about uh, a women's soccer league team that played up that way, or any other minor league team that played up that way. I barely know enough about the Bethlehem Steel, Bethlehem Steel, to speak knowledgeably about them. Although uh, I know of them primarily because uh, my son's club is aligned to a degree with the union and thereby the Steel. Um, but Bethlehem is not really the sort of place that I would have put a minor league team in the first place anyway. I know that the Lehigh Valley is an up-and-coming area in terms of minor league sports because the Iron Pigs do really well and the hockey team's doing gangbusters. Okay, but those are minor leagues below major league clubs. This, and I know the union's a major league club, but just hear me out, okay? The union obviously don't have the same following as the Flyers, or the Phillies, okay? So mm-hmm. a lot of people will talk about Major League Soccer and say, comparatively, in a world level, level, it's a minor league. So now you're talking about the Steel being a level below the Union, who a lot of people kind of turn their nose up at because they're Euro snobs. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> uh, point being, yeah, there's not going to be a solid grass or uh, turf facility that doesn't have the football lines on it that's going to be made available to the steel to save their tie to the Lehigh Valley in a time frame that will make sense for anybody. Because here again, things in motion tend to stay in motion. Things at rest tend to stay at rest. They're now going to be at Talon. And that's going to be the new norm. And now it's going to need to be, what's our impetus to go back? And I'm not right, sure that's what I'm saying. Be. Like they weren't from the beginning. They were a team that was branded as this and played up there, but they didn't practice up there. They didn't make any inroads with the community. They just sort of like whatever. They showed up there once a week. They played a game every other week. They played a game, but there was never real any real connection with the community. You know, I mean, this was another Nick Sakevich special, really. I mean, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, we bitched about the distance because if like you were a writer and you covered the union, you were also interested in going to some steel games. Why the fuck am I going to drive like 90 minutes to, to get up there, you know, from Philadelphia. So they just phoned it in. They phoned it in and they hoped that nostalgia was going to carry it. And it didn't. Yeah. I don't really care. But I mean, the history of it is nice, but like, um, and I, it's nice to to appreciate Bethlehem steel and what those teams did here back in the day. But I think the focus for everybody at first is let's figure out the, the first team here that's playing in Chester before, like we, you know, even worry about what the hell is going on with steel. All right. Um, let's get to questions here. 
and uh, I think we got maybe oh, a good chunk of them here. So um, we'll start it off with our boy Union Hulk, uh, and these are all. Uh, this is all in capital letters as per usual. Union Hulk was having a really, really good time with the Balotelli rumors uh, because he just wants something to be excited about. You know, people want something to be excited about. You know, talk to me about the Philadelphia Union. Who are they going to sign? You know, we we did, we stopped doing the podcast for three months last this time last year because they just weren't doing anything and Ernie wasn't saying anything and he wasn't leaking anything and it was just like the most boring time. So we had some fun with the Balotelli shit, all right? Because Ernie Stewart was Ron Hextall. Continue. Yeah, I I don't think that column is just not going to happen, is it? What the Ernie one that, Stewart is Ron Hextall? The one the one that I've I've wanted to write, but I'm afraid it's going to get ripped down. It's again. just a very small the cross section of people who know anything about Ernie Stewart and Ron Hextall is maybe like 500 people who listen to this podcast and you and me and Phil. That's all right. And Russ's wife That's and all right. Nancy. <laughs> She's not going to. Nah, she wouldn't read it. <laughs> Um, okay, so Union Hulk says, remember that 48 hours uh, when all of Philadelphia Union uni- united together over Mario Balotelli? The sun was shining brighter. The jalapeno poppers tasted a little bit crunchier. For 48 hours, Dupe Nation was happy. Was this just a short window of success like when Limp Biscuit was popular? Hashtag Nookie. <laughs> See, Limp Biscuit was popular for much longer than that, man. See, people got to realize that Limp Biscuit was like the shit back in the day. So like 1997 to like 2003, four-ish or something like that. That's more than just a couple years. Uh, every day I would watch Total Request Live, and you just wanted to see if Limp Biscuit and Corn would be able to knock off In Sync and Backstreet Boys uh, to take the number one spot on TRL. Yeah. As is most of, of my music history of that time, uh, I remember Limp Biscuit lovingly, fondly, for uh, their reinvention of their song Rollin'. Yeah, uh, yeah, which yeah. the Undertaker used yeah. for his uh, American Badass. Yeah, mantra, that was a phase, was, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. Way out of character. Where he started. Wow. That's actually what started the Undertaker wearing the muscle shirts and like the uh, the denim vests and the bandanas. Yeah, and, yeah, right, yeah. that was a riding the motorcycle out to the ring. So, all yeah. right, I'm just gonna start banging some of these questions out here. Uh, Union and Steel rumor says, "What's the move if Borek goes?" Weep. Probably just sign. I mean, I don't think they're even going to play with a ten, right? Probably just try to sign a striker and go and play two strikers, you know. Yep. Um, the Doopy Brothers says, "What does Talon Energy want for Christmas? More beer choices, less play on the field." What do you mean, Talon Energy? Like, with the stadium? What does the stadium want for Christmas? What does Talon Energy Stadium need right now? They need to fix the parking yesterday. Like getting in and out yeah. of there. For sure. It's not just getting in and out. I, th- I think it's the way it was, what, a few years ago when they decided to put the practice fields right next to the stadium and, and eliminate all of that parking. I mean, if, if you're a, a casual fan or you're somebody who shows up to the to the game, you know, not five hours or six hours ahead of time to tailgate, the fact that you have to turn right at the wharf building and walk what feels like a mile and a half to get to the stadium, that's not a good game day experience. Yeah. As you're hearing the anthem and or the announcements of starting lineups, and you're realizing that for a 90-minute-plus stoppage time match, you're probably going to miss 10. Yep. That's not great. Yeah. Um, Kevin says, has anybody checked on Hulk Union Smash to see if he's all right? Well, nobody knows who he is, so I guess you can't check. Um, I think I know. Do we know if it's a he? I think somebody once told me that it was a he, but I didn't believe who they told me it was, so I'll have to keep... mm. I'll worry about that. It's Mike Missinelli, isn't it? No, it's definitely... When the tweets come in uh, lowercase, I'll I'll worry. Um, Mike says, will the union ever be able to energize the fan base? When Jay Sugarman sells the team. That's probably all it is, right? Um, It'd be nice to host a home game. I mean, Home playoff, playoff game. Isn't it, that would be something. Isn't it a shame, though, in a city that has both Comcast owning teams and the, uh, the what is it, the Blitzer group, the Apollo yeah, group, yeah, yeah. led by Josh Harris, mm-hmm. like both of those, those ownership groups you would think in theory might be interested, although Comcast just got back into revitalizing the wings, and of course Josh Harris and company have a minority stake in Crystal Palace, but I've always thought that that would make some kind of sense. Uh, to almost use the union like a farm team for Crystal Palace, um, but yeah. imagine like if nothing else, I think we could probably guarantee that Josh Harris would actually spend money. If Ed Snyder were still alive, we would pretty much guarantee that Comcast would spend money on the, the on-field product. But 
you know, the the Flyers have enough of an issue with not really seeming to know who the, the corporate overlords are and how knowledgeable about their sport they are. So I, I don't even know. Like, if even if Comcast came out of nowhere and, and bought the team from Sugarman, I don't know if I'd be totally confident that they would know what they're doing. I would love to have Harrison Blitzer sell their stake in Crystal Palace, buy the Philadelphia Union from Jay Sugarman after expansion is done, build Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment version of Jerry's World. And there's going to be a brand new indoor facility for the 76ers. The 76ers get the hell out of the Wells Fargo Center and they leave it to the Flyers and the Wings. Leave it to Comcast. Um, And then they build a small soccer stadium right next door to it. It's going to be a soccer stadium connected to an arena and it's going to house both teams that they own in Philadelphia. I love it. It's like my ultimate dream, man. Yeah, and along those lines, Kevin, I've said this in some form or other on other shows uh, with you and without you. Um, I'm looking forward to 20 years from now uh, talking wistfully about. Remember, we used to go down to Chester and watch. Remember how? Yeah, remember how much they sucked back in the day. Well, not just that, but like, remember they thought they were going to plop this stadium down along the riverside in Chester, and everyone was going to show up, and they were going to make all kinds of money and win all. Randell needs to answer answer for that shit. Randell and Dominic Pelegi and and Kirkland and all those dudes who made that thing possible, shoving that through right when the economy tanked. I mean, I think what I think what happened is you know everybody got nervous about that, and they said, "Oh, the economy went to shit." Instead of saying, let's just rethink this and think if Chester makes sense and how we're going to fund this thing, I think what they thought was that if we take a if we you know take a few steps back here right now, that MLS might go away, you know. So instead, what they did was they just shoved the thing through anyway with only half the stuff that was supposed to be there, and we got this beautiful stadium in the middle of nowhere with yeah. no retail, no you know restaurants, no none of that stuff. Like the original blueprints for the place are amazing. And honestly, no ability to do all of those things that you described in any meaningful yeah. way. Yeah. It is a shame. Like, it, it, it's one of, it's one of I think, the, the bigger letdowns that we've ever had in a Philadelphia sports uh, uh, landscape kind of thing. Like, I, I can't think of a time that something seemed like it should have been set up for success as yeah. much as yeah. the union should have been. And then the whole thing, it, it's not only like it didn't come to fruition. It, like... It became like the caffeine-free diet version of what it was supposed to be. Austin says uh, there's going to be an expansion draft for Cincinnati, right? Yes, there is. Uh, who gets protected? Um, so here's what they're doing with Cincinnati. They're going to only select five players in the expansion draft this year. Um, Columbus, San Jose, Seattle, KC, uh, Toronto are exempt because they lost players to LAFC last year. Okay, so I don't know what the protected list is going to look. I assume it'll be like 10 or 11, like it always is. But right now, they only have one, two, three, four. They only have like 15 people on the roster. So, I mean, I think your homegrown players are exempt. Okay, so you don't have to protect McKenzie, Jones, Fontana, Aronson, Trusty, and Real. That's like half your damn roster already. <laughs> so you protect Pico, uh, Corey Burke, Andre Blake, Blake Rosenberry. Il Sino, uh, what, that's one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, uh, and Baizo, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. Jack Elliott, you would protect. So that's one. Can I go hot take? Like, what if you don't protect Andre Blake? Why would you not do that? Like, what if you ended up using his money? Right? Like, if, if you're so strapped for cash, it's like he's an elite goaltender. I get it. But, like, at some point, you need to start pushing this money to things that matter outside of goaltender. Like, McCarthy's not the worst backup. He could probably be a serviceable uh, goalkeeper for you for a couple of years. He's still young. Yeah. He's proven that he, he can be somewhat reliable. Like, why throw all the money? At I think the he has a USL he... offer, too. I think John McCarthy has a USL offer. Um... Russ, are you, are you done? Why? You're not. You have I love Andre Blake, but Andre it's just Blake. like. No, but theoretically, he's one of like three reasons to go watch them right now. You, you can't just give really gold expansion. You're gonna go spend money to go watch the gold. No, but the crux. I've come pretty close to uh, justifying my decision to go down to watch them as well. At least I get to watch Blake play Plastic Man for well, ninety minutes. He's really good. But he's the fun crux to watch. of my transfer Andre Blake argument for years was was kind of what Russ is saying. It's not that he's not a great goalkeeper, but I always felt like if you were a cash 
strapped team and you only had X amount of dollars to spend anyway, try to get money for Blake and then put that money into like a forward or something like that because it's just easier to find a just a generic American dude to go play goalkeeper who will be serviceable and who will get the job done versus, you know, finding a needle in a haystack with a, with a cheap strike. You trust them to reinvest that no, money No, absolutely wisely? not. But in theory, that's just kind of what I was basing it on. When I was saying, you got to sell Blake now, you got to sell Blake now, it wasn't because I was down on Andre. It was just that I thought he had value that you could flip into something else, you know? But um, All right, what else do we got He's here? set to make, what, half a million next year? Something like that. I should look I'm, it up. I'm looking at Spotrack right yeah, now. Think. His um, the, the biggest... Uh, Hits were Doge call for like 1.7, Ale for 1.2, Akam for 1.2, then it was Simpson for like 600k, Madunian for 500, CJ for 525, mm-hmm. yeah, Blake for for 450. I mean, the it, CJ it mean contract, that- $500,000 for CJ, four goals this year in like 32 games, that kills you. Uh, Akam, you got nothing out of him this year. That like, kills takes, you. Way to identify the only guy that earned his money and decide to give him up. Who was that? Oh, Blake, Blake, the only Blake. guy on that list you just read off yeah. really earned his money. And you're going to save $425,000? That's our big savings that we're going to trouser and then turn the franchise around with? Come on. Guy's still in his prime. You can't just let him walk for nothing. Transfer is different. Like, if you transfer him and you get something of value back, that's one thing. But if you lose him in the expansion draft, that $425,000 doesn't get you anything useful. Um, Andrew, that's a fair Andrew point. says, um, or I'm sorry, Pat says, why did Ernst have to be a big spoil sport and ruin our fun with that phone call to the goalkeeper? Um, it's interesting from a PR standpoint because when you, theoretically, when you call somebody to like shut a rumor down like that, that you would then kind of like have to shut down every rumor that comes, you know, anything that's on that level. So like if there's another big rumor, say like the union are going to sign... Um, fucking mario gomez from germany or something right like would he call and shut that down if that was not true or was it just because he felt like this balotelli thing was getting out of control you know well i think it might just be setting the tone earlier in his tenure yeah that's true you know? like kind of establishing like look this is not i'm not fucking around like with, these with mario of, balotelli yeah like these yeah. kind of things aren't something that's going to define my tenure here yeah. well not just that most of the names that you could throw out plausibly in this regard aren't going to have the same baggage or like electricity attached that Balotelli has. I mean, because for all of his problems, some of his moments have been really special, and those are the things that people remember, especially in the context of Well, that MLS. gets um, EJ, who, who listens to the podcast and he reads Crossing Broad also, he, that he actually asked a pretty good question regarding that. He said, what big-name European strikers would even be open um, to move to MLS right now? There's no obvious Rooney, uh, David Villa, or Zlatan types out there right now, in my humble opinion. So I, I was interested in that. I just kind of like looked at, looked around it. Some of the older guys, like 30, 31, 32, 33, they're still like scoring goals in, in various high-level leagues. And, I mean, the only guys that I really came up with in that list were, um, well, I guess you could add Gomez to that list. You could start with that. Mario Gomez, uh, Falcao is like 33. Oh uh, Luis Suarez. Um, Edinson Cavani. Uh, Gareth you could say Jekko, but he's still real productive Jekko, right now. Um, Gareth Bale's going to be like 30, 31 soon, right? Um, um, Robert Lewandowski is like 32, 33, I think. Um, you know what's Vade, an interesting Vade is an interesting one. He's 34 now, but he's still scoring goals in Germany, and, and Tanner's familiar with Germany, you know? Aryan Robin is not going to re-up his contract. How old is he, 34, 35? 35, I think. Would you take a flyer on Aryan Robin to the Union? Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an interesting that's name. Not even yeah. a, that's not even a question. Like Robin makes all the sense in the world, and Ernst having you know roots in Germany would be incredible. But like again, like let's be honest, is Jay Sugarman gonna pony up the money for Robin? No. no. no now, I, you talk about a guy who would come to MLS and absolutely slaughter people. Robin would be that guy. Now here's he's not he's not your target. If for Robin it, comes, he, he's going to New York or Los Angeles. He's yeah, not. Now here's the problem. Like when when I looked at um, we pin, picked out two years that we thought that that Ernst was responsible for the transfers at Hoffenheim when he was like the director of blah 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 whatever the hell right, and every player that he went for was really really young. Um, they his first year was twenty. 10, 2011 or 2011, 2012 that he was making the transfers, and here's who he brought into Hoffenheim when he was in charge. Ryan Babel for 7 million pounds, age 24. Gilfie Sigurdsson, 5 million pounds at age 20. Roberto Firmino at age 19, 4 million pounds. 
Sebastian Rudy, uh, 4 million pounds at age 20. Uh, Kevin Voland uh, at 18 years old, got him for 700,000 pounds. Uh, Juka Raitala at 21 years old, who ended up playing in MLS and now plays for Montreal. Um, 24 years old, 2019, 20, 19, 18, 21. But he spent like $20 million on those players. Same thing with Ernie Stewart, who had all these amazing transfers at Alkmaar, but you did have to spend money to get them there in the first place. So year number two, um, uh, Sandro Wieser, that guy, um, that Swiss guy for a million dollars. Um, they got Serdan Lakic, um, the, the Turkish German guy from Wolfsburg. They got him on a loan for free. Fabian Johnson, age 23, American left winger. Danny Williams, age 22, American defensive midfielder. So you see a lot of like the pattern was that he wanted to go for these young, you know, guys and he, he nailed a lot of them, but I don't even think he has the money to do that here. I don't think he's ever going to have the money to do. I think as long as Jay Sugarman's here, it's probably just going to be another exercise in futility where he's got all these great ideas, but probably just can't execute on any of it. You know, well, don't worry, way. Kevin, because their their big striker is uh, fourteen years old in the academy, and in five years, yeah, he's score get excited, get really excited. I still just, yeah. I I don't understand how Don Garber hasn't tried to force Sugarman's hand in some way or, or another. I mean, we saw we saw what happened with uh, with the Sixers, and the fact that you know, in terms of revenue sharing, the Sixers really weren't helping the league during the hinky years, during the process years. But mm-hmm. like, it's still a top market. Like in theory, a Philadelphia Union team that's competitive and is filling talent and is selling plenty of merch, like that should be a team that's able to draw TV ratings and is able to draw a lot of you know traffic to MLS and to the stadium and and all that. Like at some point, like I, I know that the, the the constant you know conventional wisdom here is once expansion's finished, and I get that. But like, God, if you're Garber, like at some point, don't you just have to try to expedite? I'll this? tell you this. Like if if your owner doesn't have the money, yeah. like it, this would be different if it were like Columbus, or if this were like a, you know a, a mid market team. Then fine, like you can be frugal, you can play money ball, you can do all that. But like it's Philadelphia. I will tell you that. I, I, don't I will get tell it. you that. And this is from this is not from the mystery email sources. This is from like good sources. I, I, I can tell you straight up that Major League Soccer headquarters is not happy with the union right now. Like they they have said to Jay Sugarman more or less like it's time to fucking get on with it. Um, he sits on the expansion committee as we all know. You know he probably can just sit on his investment and whatever, but they're not happy with it. I don't know what the hell they can do. Like they can't do anything. They can't say go spend money you don't have. Um, but they can tighten, tighten the and screws. They can the tighten the too, screws after we, the expansion's done. I guess I don't. I don't know. You know? Can they though? Like, what can they do different? They can say they can start putting new rules in and shit like that. Like they could put a new. They could they like could up the salary floor. Yeah, you know they could they could or they could just even increase the salary cap to the point where you get more competitive imbalance and kind of forces people's hands. Um, I think the, I like the floor better than the cap, but I I don't know. Theoretically, you'd like to increase both of those at the same time, and then you price out cheap cheap dudes who just aren't spending enough to be competitive, you know. Or maybe you force them to spend some uh, inflated number on their designated players based on what the rest of the roster yeah. looks like. In other words, if you don't pay your lower level guys enough, then you have to overspend. There are ways to or some yeah. There are like ways that. to do it. All right, we're going on like an hour now, and I'm fucking starving. I was I like didn't even eat anything. For, I ate some like shitty food at the Sixers game, like which feels like it was ten hours ago. Um, oh, can we compare beet food really quick? What do you guys get to actually eat at the uh, Sixers games? There yeah. is like not the not the paid not the paid media meal because I'm assuming that's going to be similar. But yeah. like what what. Like, because you guys are down on the floor, we're up in in the balcony yeah, for the you flyers. Guys are up top. But like, yeah. we'll, so like we have we have our spread, but like, what does your stuff look well, like? Well, it's just it's like the Aramark spread. So you pay like your ten bucks, and you get like uh, you know they have some kind of protein, like chicken or whatever the hell, and then they have like a vegetable and like a side. Um, then there's like a salad bar uh, to the side, and then they have like a soup and a uh, whatever set up on the other side. So like today, for example, they were playing Memphis, the uh, Sixers and the Grizzlies, right? Playing Memphis, so they had like pulled pork sandwiches with like mac and cheese and like green beans. So it was like kind of like a Southern kind of thing going on. Uh, then they have the salad bar and like the mixed fruit set up over there. And then they have like soda and um, soup and they have like ice cream on the side or whatever. So it's, it's a, you have to go in pocket for that. Uh, yeah, it's 10 bucks. But, yeah, but that's do you have silly. anything for in game? 
Uh, no, no, like during halftime, oh. they, like at halftime, they put like popcorn out usually, or like sometimes on Fridays or Saturday nights, they'll put like pretzels or hot dogs out or something like that. But no, for the most part, like if you don't pay the 10 bucks up front for the media meal, you don't get, you don't get jack shit. Oh, now at, at talent. Well, okay. The at, flyers. Now the flyers are taking care. So what do you, uh, so you guys don't have the Aramark thing bef- beforehand? No, we do. We do. It's 12 bucks and it sounds like essentially the same kind of thing. But I guess because we're up in the uh, the balcony level mm-hmm. or whatever, we actually have a, a full spread while we're yeah. up there. That's free. That's popcorn. It's it's like a can. There's like a candy bar, oh. coffee, soda, uh, Philly pretzels. Hang, or well, not Philly pretzel factory, but oh, whatever. Oh, cool. Well, that's the really super, good. Super yeah, pretzels yeah, yeah. and uh, and popcorn. Oh, that's yeah. nice, man. That's kind of like the union have a really nice setup in that regard. Like you go in, it's free. You don't have to pay for it. Um, same kind of thing it would be like a sandwich and like a side and then like they have like a whole like salad and like fruit setup or whatever the hell and some like desserts and stuff like that and then at halftime they'll bring out like uh you know like like soft pretzels or potato chips or or whatever you know and the running joke is like there's always like a huge line to get it it's like you you think that journalists never eat anything ever it's always like we're like the most starving people in, in philadelphia or something because these people are just like you know surrounding the pretzels like they've never seen a pretzel before in their entire life but but no, it's it's yeah, it's the union. Well, the two of you are both remarkably fit, but I I know that a lot of journalists in this city have, shall we say, uh, less svelte yeah, that's uh, true. figures. That's very true. We <laughs> won't name any of them. That. We're going to leave the podcast at no. that. Actually, um, Phil Kaidel, Rush Joy from Crossing Broad FC. Why don't you guys pimp out the show and um, tell the listeners where they can find that? Hit it, Russ. Oh, okay. all right. Um, so, Crossing Broad FC, of course, uh, your home for all international football, where the illustrious Phil Kaidel, his last name K E I D E L, not hard to spell, it's Phil Kaidel. Uh, we break down everything that happens in the EPL, La Liga, Serie A. Sometimes we touch on Liga um, and the Bundesliga, of course. And uh, we typically take on some of the international headlines. Of course, later this week when we record, we're going to be. Um, talking about the fact that the U.S. men's national team took 13 months to hire, what is it, their board member, their board president's uh, brother, son. B-O-R-E-D, board? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're going to be talking about the U.S. men's national team hire uh, for manager. Uh, that That is one thing that will stand out. And then typically, depending on if we're on an international break or not, we'll sometimes talk about League of Nations and all that. So um, I think we'll also probably touch on the fact that the uh, Africa confederations cup uh was stripped um so i don't know those are the kind of things that we hit on and we uh we typically do it in a somewhat fun way i like to think phil likes to go off on his uh very intelligent rants and i just kind of sit back and enjoy so it's soccer in philadelphia episode number 65 why always me uh hopefully we cleared up some of the balotelli stuff and hopefully people found found that at least interesting about how the uh news cycle turns from hot stove to rumors to full-blown bullshit in the course of like 24 hours but thanks for hopping on guys um we'll have to do it again sometime